in terms of the victim saying, yes, I feel vindicated if we're going to double the time that he's in prison, that, that may soothe some Brewster. But then on feelings. the flip side, he walks it back and says that his mind is, is still open to considering less than the, the 18. Uh, Which, that was really interesting, right, based right. upon what, what, because sometimes, you know, prosecutors or some prosecutors, and, and maybe I was one of those, no, I wasn't, that's always looking for the maximum, the maximum, the maximum, but you've got to balance it with every, with every other circumstances. But, but that's him, that's him, he's, he's reasonable, he's fair, he said, I'm not going to close my eyes and my mind to anything that the defense wants to introduce to us as mitigation, he says, I'll look at it, that doesn't mean I have to abide by it, but he, then he said, ultimately, it's the judge's decision. But let's not ignore the fact that Kellen got a life sentence today, okay? He's going to be a life sentence sex offender for mm. the rest of his life. Which okay? is important. And it, it is. It's, it's one of the reasons why when we have these types of cases, we're not so quick to consider pleas because even if we avoid jail time altogether, my client is going to be on a list for the rest of his or her life. And he's a two-strike two guy in California, right. which means right. the third strike, he's, he's done. It was very interesting with the GPS. That was the first time I heard of that with having a GPS locator on him. So he will be, I mean, pretty much under surveillance for the rest of his life. And that's... That's one of the options. It's not mandatory that he be put on GPS. Yeah, they'll, they'll make right. a determination as to right. where he fits in, in terms of his level. And then... Right. Well, based upon his actions on. in this case, where he was facing rape charges and then is granted bond, which is sort of a gift, and is free to go wherever he goes, he commits another offense. And to me, that, that was very telling about where he is and perhaps what's happening mentally. The other thing that Dan Owens was talking about, in California, there's an ability to perhaps have him civilly committed mm -hmm. later if doctors believe he may be a danger to himself or others. Well, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of other things. Yeah. They can do poly regular polygraph testing, um, so he might be subject to psychosexual exams to determine whether or not uh, he has these specific problems, which we, of course, all believe to be directed towards the elderly population. I liked your question about the restrict travel. About protecting him, right? And, yeah. and, and think thousand, about it. A thousand feet from a nursing home. Right. Well, he's, he's in his 30s now. His victims are in their 50s and 70s. He gets out. He's in his 50s. He'll be eligible to live in an uh, over-50 community. Right? Where there's going to be a lot of seniors. I mean, to me, that's problematic. But if he has to register, at least everyone in the neighborhood will, will know. Mm -hmm. And maybe they'll Google him and find out, you know, what the story is behind this man. Well, he's not the first sex offender, right? And so we have sex offenders that are out But it's the different. Street. It's different. I, I understand that. But he still once and, and I believe this wholeheartedly, once you do your time, and for the crime that you admit to, then that is doing your time. And whatever the other sanctions are that he has to uh, abide by, that's fine. But then he is still entitled to a life after this. That's the whole point of the criminal justice system. As long as he it, stays in that lane where he's not offending anyone. And, and what we want is we, we don't want to turn a blind eye to all of this and say, oh, he's just like the rest of us, because he's not. No, I mean, if he's like the rest of us, he wouldn't have gone to the crunch gym with the ankle monitor on and done what he did. Right, but then where are you saying that we just throw him away? Where, where does he go after No, that? we evaluate him. 
And if, and if professionals believe he could be a danger to society, then we do something. We right. don't turn a blind eye to that. But do we do, I don't believe that we do that with all sex offenders, and that's what I'm saying. Uh, not all, know, but not the all. ones who are still dangerous. But sex offenders are required to be registered, right. and they are required to right. abide by the rules that they cannot move to another jurisdiction or another county or another district. Not letting without, folks know. Yeah, without but, letting but, folks know. But, but let's be real. When you, when you have this type of defendant who is not an everyday Joe, the registry is really just duplicative because the reality is we the know case who he is. got so much coverage. What a job Everybody tonight. knows he likes scenes. Jesse Law, Joe Hibachi, Tiffany Porter, thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you, thank it. You. When we come back, folks, we're going to turn the page here, and we've got a special hour dedicated to the Harvey Weinstein saga. That's next. There's something broken in this man. Starting tonight. He's a sociopath. Harvey Weinstein, a Court TV exclusive primetime event. Seema Iyer sits down with the accusers. I walked up to his room with such confidence and walked down feeling I was worth nothing. And the attorneys. They cannot prove these were non-consensual encounters. He knows what he's done. The Weinstein Rape Trial, exclusive interviews tonight at 8, only on the all-new Court TV. We received this today. It looks like some sort of ransom note. And look how much they're asking for. Ma'am, this is a cable bill. <gasps> Fed up with high TV prices? Get Orbi TV, quality satellite TV for just $40 a month with no contract or credit check. All taxes are included, so the $40 package is just $40. This looks like a classic shakedown. <gasps> Available at Best Buy or go to OrbiTV.com for more information. Could someone be stealing your identity or hacking into your phone or laptop? It can actually happen from across the room or from thousands of miles away. Or a company you trust with your personal information could be breached. Your information is in more places than ever. You need more protection than ever. That's why Norton and LifeLock are now part of... protection, device security, a VPN for online privacy, and more. Cyber criminals keep looking for new ways to steal your personal information. You might not even know it until it's too late. Someone filed my taxes under my name. $6,000 was sent to some... my devices. Why not have that added layer of protection so that you can sleep well at night? Join now and use promo code MYPROMO to save 25% off your first year. All Norton 360 with LifeLock memberships include LifeLock Identity Theft Protection backed by our million dollar protection package and US-based restoration specialists who will work to fix problems. Award-winning Norton device security for multiple devices. A VPN for online privacy, securing your connections whether you're on public Wi-Fi or at home and more. You never know where cyber threats are lurking these days. Don't wait to become a victim. Here's how to join. New Norton 360 with LifeLock. Call 1-800-431-2264.
Harvey Weinstein. Gwyneth Paltrow thanked him before anyone else when she won the Oscar for Best Actress in 1999. I would like to thank Harvey Weinstein and everybody at Miramax Films for their undying support of me. Movies he backed like Shakespeare in Love. Can you love a fool? Can you love a player? The English Patient and Pulp Fiction. <laughs> made stars out of his actors, won critical acclaim, and made him a household name in the business. He was a big deal. He was, ev everyone knew about him. Heather Kerr was an aspiring actress in 1989. The Los Angeles native was 20 years old, working part-time for an industry executive and hoping for her big break. There was a buzz around Harvey, and he was on the rise, and everybody knew it. He was the guy to meet. He was the guy to get close to, and everybody wanted to be attached to him. Most of the time, all she got to do was pass Weinstein's calls to her boss, except one day he invited her to meet him. My memory of that is so vivid. It's, it's clearer than memories of last week. It was such a turning point in my life. When she arrived at his office, Kerr hoped Weinstein would talk about opportunities for her. And I wanted to bring forth the best information about myself that I could. Um, started telling him my history, what I had done professionally. And he said, you know what, none of that matters. None of that matters. He said, I'll tell you how it works. Here's the deal. You're going to sleep with me, and I'm going to see how good you are. Meanwhile, he unzips his pants, and he pulls out his wiener and reached over and grabbed my hand and held my hand there. The incident terrified her and led her to question acting as her career choice. I can't sleep with people to become successful. And he had just told me that was how it was done. After Weinstein's decades-long history of alleged sexual abuse made news, she was among dozens of women who came forward. Disgraced movie producer Harvey Weinstein. Former producer Harvey Weinstein exiting a Manhattan federal courthouse. More charges could be filed against disgraced Hollywood mogul. Dozens of women, 80 women, have come forward in recent months. Oh, my God. For the first time in my life since that happened, I thought, I'm not the only one. The Weinstein case drew a string of accusers, including Gwyneth Paltrow, Selma Hayek, and Ashley Judd. The actresses accused him of sexual harassment. Their experiences opened the floodgates. Women were encouraged to share their own stories using hashtag MeToo. It exploded into a global movement and an international campaign to raise awareness of sexual abuse and assault. I thought no meant no. Judd, one of Weinstein's early accusers, told the Times and ABC News that Weinstein had invited her to his hotel room where he asked for a massage and wanted her to watch him shower. If I could go back, retrospectively with a magic wand. I wish I could prevent it for anyone always. Weinstein had reportedly settled eight abuse claims between 1997 and 2015 with women including actress Rose McGowan who spoke to ABC News about an alleged incident. As an international rapist, okay? She tweeted, 
I told the head of your studio H.W. raped me, referring to Harvey Weinstein. He thinks he's done nothing wrong. She and Judd are pursuing legal action against the disgraced movie producer, but they will not be a part of his upcoming criminal case. This is not a trial about the history of Harvey Weinstein or the history of the allegations against him. New York prosecutors have charged Weinstein with two counts of predatory sexual assault, one count of criminal sexual act, and two counts of rape involving two women dating back to 2013 and 2006. Weinstein has pleaded not guilty. Through his lawyers, he denies any criminal wrongdoing and that any sexual acts were consensual. I think that there's credibility issues in, in regard to the, the entire case, frankly. What are you talking about? I didn't want to hurt your feelings. No. What you said was that you didn't want to piss me off. Prosecutors recently beefed up their case by adding Sopranos actress Annabella Sciorra to their witness lineup. She claims Weinstein raped her in 1993. But her testimony isn't as worrisome to his lawyers as the media storm that has followed Weinstein at every step. For this particular case, you need a juror who is willing essentially to be brave enough to be fair. Can we get jurors who walk into court and say, if I don't think Mr. Weinstein's guilty, can I say not guilty? Welcome to a special hour of closing arguments tonight as we take a closer look at the case against Harvey Weinstein because that trial is coming up this January. And tonight in the next hour, you're going to hear in an exclusive interview the defense team, the two attorneys who are taking the lead in defending Harvey Weinstein. And we're doing that tonight with Court TV's Seema Iyer, who joins me now and sat down with that defense team. Um, Seema, I want to start here with the sure. big picture, because we talk about Harvey Weinstein, we talk about Me Too, we talk about all of these accusers. But this trial in New York City... That's right. The indictment is just two accusers. Just two accusers. However, this case started off with a different two accusers. There was one from 2004 and one from 2013. The 2004, her name has been out there, Lucia Evans, that charge was dismissed because there were allegations that the detective coached her. And his name is Detective DeGaudio. I actually represented him in a total coincidence when I was working for the NYPD before I came to court TV uh, as a witness. Not, he was never accused of anything. So, but the prosecution conceded there was some coaching. So Lucia Evans is out. Now there's another accuser, the 2006 accuser. Her name is Mimi Halei. She's represented by Gloria Allred. And those are the two accusers that are part of the indictment. However, there is this new indictment, as we all spoke about in the package. Uh, Annabella Sior, you saw her. She is supporting that new indictment. So there's no. So we crime. expect her to testify. We absolutely expect her to testify. Okay, now the charges here predatory sexual assault. How much time is Harvey Weinstein facing if he's convicted here? Life in prison. Everything's at stake. Life here. in prison. Everything is at stake for him. Life in prison. And that is why I think the prosecution was getting nervous that. The, the 2013 accuser, according to the defense team and according to other research I have done, is problematic because she engaged in a consensual relationship with Harvey Weinstein at some point, either before or after or both. 
uh, between the sexual assault that she claims, okay? And there is correspondence. We may hear about text messages, emails. So they, I think they're concerned because you need two. You need to. Annabella Sewer is the insurance policy, Vinny. So it there's three three people will testify at trial. If the jury finds that two of them are telling the truth, exactly. the accusers, and they believe them, then he can face life in prison here. Right. And predatory sexual assault, all you have to think about is pattern sexual assault, two or more. All right. The other question people have, you're talking about 2013, 2006. Why now? Why is this case being brought now? Well, Vinny, the first public accusation was actually in 2015 by a young woman named Amber Batalana Gutierrez. And she came forward and the NYPD wired her and uh, they published that recording, but the DA's office just let it go. Now, I think what really precipitated everyone coming forward was there was two articles. The first was the New York Times on October 5th, 2017. And those reporters, Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, they spent more than a year investigating this. And Gwyneth Paltrow, who we saw in that package, I mean, you know, a lot of people criticize Gwyneth Paltrow. Let me tell you, she really was behind the scenes coming up with names and providing them with sources. So October 5th, 2017, they, this article, Exposé, comes out in the New York Times. Five days later, the New Yorker, Ronan Farrow, comes out with an Exposé. So this is what Some public pressure, you think it is? I, public pressure. And, Vinny, it gives a woman strength. It gives you strength to so you have come more people forward. coming forward yeah. as a result because they feel like, all right, someone's going to believe me. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Um, this is the same courthouse where you practiced. This is my home. I used to like sleep on the benches here, you know, when, when there would be like late night deliberations. Yeah, so I know everybody, I know the prosecutors. Uh, now I'm getting to know the defense attorneys, of course, and I know the judge very well. And uh, yeah, I, right. I'm excited to see him again. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out how Harvey Weinstein found his new defense attorneys. When I got the phone call, it was it was pretty clear to me that the team, or at least people advising Harvey, felt that he really should contact a woman. So the other lawyers he had had were male lawyers, and so it was clear that they were trying to change direction. And and I think given the nature of this case and the, the way uh, the publicity of this case is sort of played out, I think it was probably a smart idea. This is Kate. Hey. She takes two prescriptions. Kate's son, Jack, takes one too. Kate works hard and thought she had good insurance, but she still pays too much. That's no good. So Kate downloaded the GoodRx app. Now she can compare prescription prices to find the best discounts. She even beats her insurance price.
He's represented by criminal defense attorney Benjamin Brofman. On October 11th, Brofman successfully lobbies to get one count of sexual assault dismissed from his client's case. Then in January of 2019, Brofman files court documents to be removed from Weinstein's case. On January 25th, Brofman is out and the judge grants Weinstein's new dream team permission to take over. Jose Baez, Casey Anthony's former defense attorney, and Harvard Law professor Ronald Sullivan become co-lead counsel. Also joining the team, former New York prosecutor Duncan Levine and Pamela Mackey, who represented NBA star Kobe Bryant during his sexual assault case. Baez and Sullivan also added Arthur Adala, Marianne Bertuna, and Diana Sampson. But the dream team doesn't stay together long. Both Mackey and Levin leave first. Then in May 2019, Ronald Sullivan leaves the team after receiving backlash from Harvard University students for his involvement with Weinstein. He's also removed from his position of dean at the school. Jose Baez becomes the sole lead counsel. In June, Baez submits a letter to New York Supreme Court Justice James Burke asking to also be removed from Weinstein's case. The letter reads in part, Mr. Weinstein has engaged in behavior that makes this representation unreasonably difficult to carry out effectively and has insisted upon taking actions with which I have fundamental disagreements. Baez officially steps down in July. So who will be sitting at the defense team with Harvey Weinstein for his trial in January? Chicago-based attorneys Donna Rutuno and Damon Chironis. All the lawyers there are so successful. And think about the ones that are gone. Puff, Puffy's lawyer, Puff Daddy's lawyer, Kobe's lawyer, Casey Anthony's lawyer. All not guilties. All of them are gone. He's got a new defense team now. Seema Iyer sat down with both of them and, and talked about how this defense team came together. The question that everyone's wondering, because Harvey Weinstein has gone through an evolution of celebrity <coughs> lawyers, is how did he find the two of you? Well, I received a call back in May um, from an attorney who is close to Harvey, um, does civil, the attorney does civil work. And, and this is May of 2019? May of 2019, correct. And called my office and left a message and I called back. And, we had a conversation and he told me why he was calling and I, I wasn't surprised. I, I do this type of work and I've had some press for this type of work so I wasn't shocked. I get a lot of these phone calls. Um, and so in receiving the call it was, you know, that's when he called us. He called us back in May of 2019 and we, here we are. <laughs> Donna, you were contacted first, is that right? Yes. And you and Damon have tried several cases together. You've handled cases together. Uh, how did you decide to bring Damon in? Well, when I got the phone call, it was, it was pretty clear to me that the team, or at least people advising Harvey, felt that he really should contact a woman. So the other lawyers he had had were male lawyers, and so it was clear that they were trying to change direction. And, and I think given the nature of this case and the, the way uh, the publicity of this case is sort of played out, I think it was probably a smart idea. And so we had conversations about, you know, why they called me, how they got my name, how they came to me. And once it seemed to be pretty clear that I was going to come on, 
Harvey said that I could build the team that I wanted to build. And so I put together people and he had already been using Arthur's office, Arthur Idala's office in New York, and I liked them very much and I, I was happy to keep them on as local counsel. And then I, I thought long and hard about whether or not I would want to bring someone else in from Chicago. And, I, and for me, going to a place that I've never practiced law, um, in a city I love and have spent a lot of time there in my life, but in, in terms of going to work in a city that I had not been, a city that handles media and, and press a little bit differently than we do in Chicago, and a case that had this level of notoriety and press involvement, I decided that the best thing I could do was not only bring in a superstar like Damon, but somebody who I know would really have my back. And no matter what we were doing, I knew that he would be there um, and supportive of the choices that I made and someone that I could work with in Chicago and sit across a conference table from and strategize, which is a lot easier to do in person sometimes than it is to do via conference or video chats. Very revealing and open there. And, and how important is it that Harvey Weinstein has a woman? Oh, I think it's everything. Because when I was practicing in that same courthouse, uh, I, there was a point where I was handling more sex crimes than any man in the building. I uh, know a lot of it, what, what I did was indigent defense, but a lot of the clients, they wanted a woman because you just can't get away from the optics. When you're sitting next to a woman who is completely believing you and advocating for you and, you know, having these conversations and giving you eye contact, it portrays to the jury, okay. He can't be that bad. Yeah. Now, she mentioned she had a history in these types of cases. Oh, let me tell you. Has she been successful? Oh, yes. So Chicago Magazine, very prestigious publication, in February 2018, they did a whole spread on Donna. And she is, she's so fierce. She's so impressive. And I believe that she has not lost a sexual assault case since 2010. Now, that article came out in February 2018, and I asked her about it, and I don't think she has lost one since. She's, and she's winning these cases. She's winning all these cases. She has been, as of 2018, she was a defense attorney for 15 years. Before that, she was a prosecutor in Cook County. But you're talking about a pretty incredible, a decade? Not so she'll, she'll take the lead here of those two attorneys. She is the lead. Damon. So because, okay, so she was contacted and she is known for this type of work. And Chicago's a big city, right? It's oh, it is New York, Chicago, it's big. So her name's been out there as a special, specializing in this type of law, in these type of cases. And then she brought in Damon, which I thought was a great move too. All right. Now. They're also dealing with the court of public opinion, another thing that came up in the conversation. Take a listen. My father was always very instrumental in sort of giving us these little life lessons. And I, I remember when I went to college, I remember those like life's little instruction books that they yeah, made. Yeah. So there was one that they came out with and it said Father's Book of Wisdom. And it was that small little leaflet type book. And I was standing in my dorm room a freshman year when I moved in for the first time and my father is your typical Italian father very hard to watch his daughter move away and do these things and he was stoic and he, he took this book out and he hands it to me and it's father's book of wisdom and I, on the front page he wrote you know look at this number and this number and this number and these are the ones I want you to pay attention to and then he wrote uh, in the book and my own words of, of advice for you never let your emotions cloud your intellect 
and at 18, that didn't mean so much to me, but it was something I read on a regular basis and looked to that and kept it with me for many, many years. And as I became a professional and was a lawyer and I'm in court, and obviously we do very adversarial things every day, and so there's, you know, they say low, you say high, they say white, you say black. And so I started to really realize what that meant. And so there's really not a day that goes by when I don't want to get frustrated with something in a courtroom or, you know, get agitated. And I think, don't let your emotions cloud your intellect. And those were the words from my dad. And I felt as if this trial was, especially the media coverage and the hysteria behind all of this, I thought those were the words that, that came to me. And when I sat down to write the op-ed, I decided to, to use those words. Why? Why do I think they apply here? Yeah. Well, I think, I think for many reasons. I think any time we allow the court of public opinion to influence our decisions before a, a criminal trial can play out, I think it puts us in a situation where we're not allowing the intellect to allow us to make choices or decisions or evaluation of, of a circumstance. And I think that that's, that's what's, what's happening here. And when we, we look at the news and everybody wants to convict Harvey before a, a trial happens, I, I think it's dangerous. Um, I think it is, it is the emotion of it. And I think, you know, as everyone knows, there's a movement associated with this. And I think that anytime there's a movement and there's this, this mass sort of pile on of people and feelings, and um, I think that it, it highlights exactly what my father said to avoid. So how concerned is Donna Rotuno and her team about the court of public opinion and, and the way they view Harvey Weinstein? I don't think she is. I think, you know, as she explained it, and I love that we played that clip because it really exemplifies who she is as a person. You know, her parents are supportive. Her family is supportive. Well, they're That's Italian. What... Of course they're supportive. <laughs> That's, that's the way Italian families are. That's what seems to mean the most to her, that she's doing the right thing in the eyes of the people who matter to her. And really, it is the right thing. I mean, this is what we were trained Does to do. Does she think she's going to get a fair shake? Be, I mean, Harvey Weinstein is a, is a big target. Everybody knows. You say Harvey Weinstein, everyone's like, ew. I think that both Donna and Damon do believe that they have it within their tool belt to pick the right jurors, and they can get a fair shake, even though they did try to get the change of venue. They tried to get it moved out they of the city. They tried to get it moved out of the city and were unsuccessful. Why would you move it out of New York? Well, you've practiced in that courthouse, right? Yeah. Defendants get fair trials in Manhattan, don't they? Manhattan is generally pro-prosecution. The, the Bronx is pro-defense. Okay. Bronx all day long. I would rather try a case in the Bronx. That, it, it is difficult. But this, is where, this is Harvey Weinstein's home. I mean, these are his people, aren't they? New I Yorkers. Think, listen, I don't think anybody's your people when it comes to sexual assault. And I think that's what she means about in letting emotions not cloud, because it's emotional for us, too. You know, I have represented men who've raped babies. How can I not get emotional about that? But I still have a job to do. And, and I still have to surround myself with people who respect that. Now, they're in a horrible position because there is, as of now, a list of 87 accusers. But they have to keep their heads down and work every day. And the two of them, they are grinders. They're really, really impressive. All right. When we come back, Harvey Weinstein's attorneys talk about the case itself. Consensual relationship. I mean, I, I think in the way I'm going to continue to answer this is 
will the state be able to prove that it was non-consensual? Right, that's the key. And that may be a different way of answering the same question. A Court TV exclusive primetime event. Seema Iyer sits down with the accusers. Was there ever that warning signal with Harvey Weinstein? This man is targeting women. When you go after people who are weaker than you, there's something severely wrong with you. The Weinstein Rape Trial. Exclusive interviews. Tuesday at 8. Only on the all-new Court TV. This is an important message for anyone with Medicare or who expects to join soon. This card I'm holding in my hand, it's an example of an all-in-one Medicare Advantage membership card. The kind of Medicare coverage that comes with this simple...
one of his early accusers actually was wired by the NYPD. And that came up in the conversation that Seema was having with Harvey's defense team. Well, okay, so in 2015, there was just one accuser. There was one person, at least in New York, right? Amber comes forward. And so they feel there's not enough evidence. Now, actually, before we get to that, how do you reconcile this recording? So she wore a wire at the behest of the NYPD, and she's recording Harvey Weinstein that, and he is saying to her when she says, yesterday was kind of aggressive for me, and that was after, that was the first incident, she goes, reports it to the police, they put a wire on her, and then comes back, and he says, I know. He says, come, come you must come here now. He, and she's saying, I don't want to. He's saying, please, sit there, please. And it goes back and forth. You know this. I know you probably sure, have it memorized. Course, this is, I mean, the, that tape shows nothing. That shows him asking her to come and sit there, come and talk to him, come and, I mean, there, there's nothing about asking her to do anything improper other than to talk to him. And who knows what she's talking about, about yesterday being aggressive. That could have been an aggressive conversation. That could have been, I mean, I, you know, in terms of, of dissecting every, every aspect of that, call and obviously I'm sure you can you can understand and respect the fact that we have plenty of evidence that we have to worry about and something like this that's not a part of our case is really not I mean other than knowing it exists and knowing that we read everything that that exists about this case and all of the media and the way things have been reported it's not a place that we have to put any of our attention and what I found really fascinating there is this is not one of the accusers in the indictment not an accuser they have to deal with that trial but they know exactly the story. They know the defense. Well, everyone knows the story because this was the first public accusation against Harvey Weinstein. And in my opinion, Cyrus Vance, the Manhattan District Attorney, dropped the ball. The DA, the NYPD wired the girl. They NYPD believed her. her. Believed they that believed her. They did believe her. Yes, they believed her enough that so after she was uh, groped or uh, harassed by Weinstein, she immediately goes to the nearest precinct. She doesn't even wait. So she goes to the precinct, she, follows, she makes the complaint, she speaks to, I believe, someone in the domestic violence or sex crimes unit, and they say, great, put a wire on her, that happens. So they have that evidence, but for some reason, when that evidence, when the cops took that wire to Cyrus Vance, the DA's office. No charges. But, but it still could have been part of this case if they wanted it to be. I, I was thinking that there was still a possibility that she would be one of the witness accusers to corroborate those named in the indictment. But I don't think she's going to be. And I also think it could just send the wrong message from the Manhattan DA's office because they can't say, wait, we DP'd it, declined to prosecute. But now all of a sudden we're going to back you up. And but that's pre me too. All that's pre no, no. See, here's the interesting thing about Me Too, Vinny. Tarana Burke created Me Too in 2006, but it was almost like this dormant movement. It Until was reignited the rest of us heard about it. in 2017. 2017. Yeah. All right. Now, what exactly is the defense going to be at trial? Take a listen. Is your overall defense of Harvey Weinstein that of consent, or is there a defense particular to each accuser or something else? Well, I think that, you know, we got to remember, I mean, in any criminal trial, right, it's not like we're talking on the street. It's not like we're having a, a town hall discussion. There are rules, as you are very familiar with. And 
it, it's not a he said, she said situation in a criminal trial. It's can the state establish beyond a reasonable doubt that a person who is presumed innocent of any criminal charges is guilty, right? That's what they have to do. So we don't have to necessarily put forth a specific defense, and I can tell you, certainly, we're not going to share with you the entirety of our defense, but what we believe is based on the state's evidence and through the cross-examinations that we are going to execute that the, the overall case and each of the charges will not meet that burden, right? And that, is that a lawyer's way of saying the state's not gonna be able to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt? That's what we believe, but it's not our decision, it's the jury's. Do you believe that the accusations by the 2006 accuser were of a consensual nature? Was there a consensual relationship? I mean, I, I think in the way I'm gonna to continue to answer this is, will the state be able to prove that it was non-consensual? Right, that's the key. And that may be a different way of answering the same question, because the state has to establish that whatever happened was non-consensual, correct? Is that your answer for the 2013 accuser? My answer is that I don't, it's our position that none of the state's evidence will be able to satisfy the elements of the offenses of which they've charged. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, it's not a matter of what I believe did or didn't happen. It's a matter of will the state be able to establish their, their evidence in this case. And I think, too, we're answering that question knowing what we know about the extent of conversations and relationships that he had with these people. So for us, and, and you know, as Damon says, we're not going to put this all out before the trial happens, but we can say um, very uh, confidently that we have evidence that makes us believe they cannot prove these were non-consensual encounters. That's that I mean, is very revealing to me about what they believe they have. They've well, I, got I, some I, level I of independent evidence saying that these relationships were consensual. That's what I was referring to earlier. I think there are emails and text messages. Maybe there are witnesses as well, but I do think there's correspondence out there with respect to the 2013 accuser. And that's uh, another thing he said. This is not a he said, she said. It, it, how is it not a he said, because, she said? No, because he's referring to the people's burden, beyond a reasonable doubt, and meeting the elements of the crime. And I told you, this is why the prosecution didn't file their new indictment until August 15, 2019, after there was an April closed-door hearing. Our Ted Rollins was there, and the judge ruled at that hearing, or he listen to evidence and then rule later that Annabella Sior was out. I think Annabella Sior was brought in, new indictment, the trial was supposed to start in September, that was delayed because they are scared that the defense has uh, evidence that is going to hurt them. And the, I told you, the predatory sexual assault, you need two. Right. Okay, so the, the underlying crimes, like the rape and the criminal sexual assault, five years minimum? He's kind of old. Five years is still, is still something. But they seem really, really confident, like super confident, this defense team. Is that what you took because, away? Yes, I do. I Not do, cocky, I, but confident. No, 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 no. Not, no, no they, they're, they're such humble, good people. But no, uh, they are confident because, but here's the issue. They're confident because they're just looking at these two cases. They're looking at two women. So if you're like this, right, and then you're saying to the jury, Oh, I don't care that you read in USA Today that there are 87 accusers. Or I don't care that you uh, know you read the book she said. So that's the problem, is getting the, the jurors that are... Jury really selection sick. is everything here.
Yeah. Now, something else that came up in your conversation was the Hollywood culture and whether or not this trial is going to need any experts. The culture and the climate of Hollywood and perhaps that lend itself to a lot of these accusations. Is there some type of expert testimony that you're going to bring in that would support that notion? That's a possible, possible uh, road we may go down. I thought you were going to say something. You were like, you're like, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, as you know, the state is attempting to call an expert witness in this case. I think there are a lot of potential experts that might be able to offer some some benefit to the defense in this case regarding any specifics. We certainly don't want to get into that. But, you know, that's something that we're certainly pursuing and discussing with our client as we go forward. As someone that's tried like, now over 100 cases against the Manhattan DA's office, I and most of them sex crimes, <clears throat> I imagine that they are going to call an expert to explain the delayed outcry with many of these accusers, including some of the uh, prior bad act witnesses. Will you also call a psychologist or psychiatrist we, we'll, we'll just say this. We, we reviewed sort of the evidence and we know the, the government's witnesses in this case. We are keeping all options available as to who we may call to sort of rebut some of that testimony. We haven't made any decisions yet. But in any case, in any criminal case, you look at, look, what are, what are the fact witnesses going to say? What are the accusers going to say? What are our fact witnesses going to say to sort of rebut some of that? And then experts are a different different animal. They come in and they base their opinions on expertise and some of them are better than others. Some of the alleged uh, expert opinions that I've dealt with in my career aren't really that. So I think uh, the key to any expert is first of all a good cross-examination. Sometimes you can make an expert your own expert or you can expose an expert for not really having all of the facts that they need to make an opinion. So that being said, we have certainly not closed the door on the idea of having experts ourselves testify at trial. I think there will be a few. Um, we have not uh, you know, finalized those decisions yet, though. This is the part of this trial that's sort of counterintuitive, that experts could make the difference here in a case where oh, yeah. two people are in a room and something happens, we need an expert to explain it? You need an expert to explain the delayed outcry. So if you don't tell someone right away, then the jury's allowed to consider that, right? Now, let's say you are a victim in 2006, but, and you don't call the police, but you tell your best friend. Your best friend is allowed to come into court and say, okay, Seema told me that night she came home crying and she told me blah, blah, blah happened to me. That is an exception to the hearsay rule. But there is also the psychological component where the jury needs to be educated that victims of sexual trauma do not report right away for let, various reasons. Let me ask you reasons. something. From your experience in New York, have New York juries been persuaded by experts oh, in yeah. cases like I this? I actually, I guarantee I know who the DA's office is going to call because I've cross-examined her. At She's least good? She She's so good. And she, and one time she looked at the jury and she was like, great cross about me, which was great. She's just, she's delightful and that scares me because she's so good. And I'm pretty sure I know who she's going to call. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and and See, that to, is... to me, you know, it is a he said, she said. There's two versions of what happens in that room. One person is credible. One person is not credible. Um, to me, that's 
how it should break down, but the expert will tell us why someone is testifying the way they are, why they didn't tell anyone? Exactly. Of course, because there is a psychological component. There's a fear inside of you why you won't tell people. And by the way, there's, and this wasn't part of the, uh, the, what we just saw, what the viewers just saw, but so when I was asking them about calling some kind of Hollywood expert because they were saying, hey, this is the right. nature of the casting couch, then I asked them, well, what about Hope Damore, who's going to be on a tomorrow night special, right? We're going we're gonna to show our interview with Hope. Hope is accusing Harvey Weinstein of sexually assaulting her in 1978. There was no casting couch for Harvey Weinstein then. There was no Hollywood for Harvey Weinstein then. He was a concert promoter in Buffalo, New York. So how do they explain that? I asked them about it. They just wouldn't, they, you know, they wouldn't answer. I mean, listen, they're great in how they respond to me, but it is frustrating because you cannot blame everything on the casting couch in Hollywood culture. All right, up next, Weinstein's attorneys talk about working with Harvey Weinstein. And then tomorrow night, Seema interviews two of Harvey Weinstein's accusers. I've never met anybody else like him. I think that some people are predators, and he's one of them. I saw an interview where Harvey said, uh, and you know, everyone makes mistakes, and and everyone deserves a second chance. But I don't, I don't think he deserves a second chance. Could someone be stealing your identity or hacking into your phone or laptop? It can actually happen from across the room or from thousands of miles away.
Harvey Weinstein that nobody knows and everybody would be surprised to hear? Harvey is a voracious reader. Um, he is someone who wants to learn and understand whatever is, is going on. So even in, in the case and the work that we're doing together, we'll discuss a legal issue on a conference call and he'll say, well, I want to read about that. Okay. And so one of the lawyers that's part of our team wrote a book on Fourth Amendment search and seizure. And that is? Judge Barry Kamins, retired Judge Kamins. Our, our viewers are a big fan of the Honorable Kamins. He's wonderful and he's a huge asset to us and so he writes this treatise on Fourth Amendment search and seizure and Harvey says, well, I'm going to pick it up and he picks up the book and reads 1400 pages in one night and is ready to discuss it with us with us the next morning really yes that is that is really fascinating yes. i have all of uh the cayman's treatises and i've read none of them <laughs> so, so that that's uh that's really interesting how uh how much does harvey participate in his defense a fair amount i mean there's conference calls every day he wants to be brought up to speed on what we're doing um, so as far as an active role in it, I mean, you know, as you know, different clients are on different spectrums as far as how much they want to be involved in their defense. I would say Harvey certainly wants to know what we're doing and wants to know why. And so he's definitely taking an active role in uh, our preparation for the case. Is that welcome or is that burdensome? It's welcome. I mean, you know, I'm actually more surprised when clients don't want to take an active role in the defense and saying just take care of everything to their lawyers. Uh, this is a situation where, you know, at times the calls can get long and you have to sort of, uh, you know, deal with that, but they're always good questions and uh, I'd rather have a client who's informed about what we're doing than somebody who's sort of in the dark and Harvey definitely wants to know what's happening. And he has a right to, obviously, it's his case and it's his life. A difficult client? I wouldn't call him a difficult client. I mean, I think any time you do this work, clients are in a situation where they're fighting for their life. And so I think anybody that realizes the magnitude of, of a criminal trial and knowing what they're facing uh, in, in terms of, of penalty and punishment, I, I don't find him to be any more difficult than, than anyone else. I think he definitely wants to learn. And sometimes in having to explain or teach certain things, you know, you, you may think, well, maybe this isn't the way that I could best use my time. But in the end, you always want a client to understand exactly what's happening and why. Yeah, and, and I think one of the other things, when lawyers say their clients are difficult, that's usually when clients are asking a lot of questions and want answers. And sometimes lawyers are used to not having to do that with every client. Um, you know, you can have serious fraud cases, murder trials, where your clients really kind of let you do what you do without sort of following every step of the way. So maybe a lot of lawyers, including myself, aren't necessarily used to the hands-on approach uh, of our client in this case, but it's not that it's difficult, it's just maybe a little bit more involved. Wow, it sounds to me like it's every day, these conference I calls. I did get that impression, that the calls- Is that a nightmare or a dream? For, for me, it would for an have been attorney. A like you. For me, it would have been a nightmare. But I also think that partially explains the revolving door of lawyers, right? Is that he asks for a lot. I did at some point hear that he's also involved with the investigators. So it's not just the lawyers that he's... Well, I can understand because everything is at stake. It's life in prison potentially here. Also, though, there was another point in the interview where Donna says something like, you know, whatever happens, he says, what does Donna think? What does Donna say? So he seems to be very deferential to her, and she's the one that counts. She's the boss.
Yeah, unbelievable. Now, this is a, a case where we believe consent will be a big part of the defense, if not the entire defense. I, I think that'll be the defense, okay. yeah. So usually it's a he said, she said, but the big question coming up in this trial is, will he even say anything? Will he take the stand? That's a big issue. Take a listen. Are you preparing Harvey Weinstein to testify? I think in any case, you have to prepare the defendant to testify. And as you know, it really comes down to the way the evidence plays out and, and whether or not you, you need to make that decision. You make it at that time. Um, but any client that I've ever represented is, is ready to testify. Are you worried about Harvey Weinstein opening any doors if he testifies? Well, in any case, you know, I mean, one of the hardest decisions you need to make is whether your client's going to testify. It's your client's decision whether they're going to take the witness stand. Obviously, it's informed through counsel. And when uh, a client testifies, sometimes it's no longer a question of whether or not the state proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt. It becomes a different sort of uh, question. And, and they may put too much weight on the testimony of a criminal defendant. So whenever a witness testifies, you're worried about doors being opened. Whether or not Mr. Weinstein's going to testify or not is something that we're certainly going to reserve until we see how the trial plays out. Um, we think that if he were to testify, he would do good job you know and he would tell the truth my takeaway from that is harvey weinstein is not testifying really i oh, i, be, I, I believe think. based upon the answers okay, you're getting that that they're going to cross-examine these accusers and they've got something else on these accusers i know i agree with that but i also think that and they answered appropriately for them. The opening the doors is the problem, right? Because you have a list of 87 accusers. If he says, you know what? I have never seen X, Y, and Z at the Cannes Film Festival ho Hotel. Then if he says no, you can bring in Katie Noble, who will be on tomorrow night from a, tw a 2014 accuser. I, that's the problem with this, is that if he testifies, there's so much danger for him to open doors I, I think inadvertently. The plan is no, I think the plan is no, based on the answers you were getting. I, I'm telling you, they, are, they it, are preparing him to testify, number one. And number two, he is a, he's a very involved client. Do you think you could keep him off the stand? No, not, I, I don't think you could, but, but I think the, the, the strategy going in to this whole thing is let's do such a great job on cross and with this other evidence that we can sit down with Harvey and he can see that he doesn't need to testify. I do think they're going to do a terrific job on cross. I think it's going to be masterful. All right. Well, great job in the interview and there's much more to come. Yeah. And there's much more of those two. And then tomorrow night. Yeah, exactly. Tomorrow night, SEMA's exclusive interviews with two of Harvey Weinstein's accusers. That's at 8 o'clock on Closing Arguments. In the meantime, folks, as always, our coverage continues here. Have a wonderful night, and don't forget to hug the kids. There's something broken in this man. Continuing Tuesday. He's a sociopath. Harvey Weinstein, a Court TV exclusive primetime event. Seema Iyer sits down with the accusers. Was there ever that warning signal with Harvey Weinstein? This man is targeting women. When you go after people who are...